So welcome everyone. Thank you very much for being here for this uh, Dunstan Dialogue 101. Uh, my name is David Pearson. I'm the Executive Director of the Dawn Dunstan Foundation. Uh, can I start tonight by acknowledging that we meet on the land of the Ghana people and we pay our respects to elders past and present. I think an important recognition tonight um, on the final night of, or final work night of Reconciliation Week. Um, reconciliation is an important process. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we, you know, fantastic that we all live here in Adelaide, one of the most livable cities in the world. Um, but we must recognise that that livability and the prosperity that we all enjoy every day uh, was built on the back of the disposition of the Aboriginal people whose names we meet on tonight. And pay, um, pay, I think it's important to recognise that as part of um, Reconciliation Week generally, but also we try to make sure that we, we recognise those sorts of facts, the fact that this is Aboriginal land and that the prosperity that we live with is as a consequence of that dispossession and continues through on to today. So uh, in that recognition and the spirit of reconciliation, we pay out of respect and welcome to everyone. So thank you for being here. Thank you um, for coming out on a cold Friday night. It's a slightly different type of event we're doing tonight. And um, I just wanted to pay tribute to the volunteers and interns who are mostly outside uh, for their great thoughts in bringing this event together, really. We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Don Dunson Foundation's existence this year. Uh, we're also commemorating 20 years since Don Dunstan himself passed away. And we thought, what a great way to do on a Friday night with some pizza and some drinks. And I'm sorry there's no booze here, but we, were gonna, <laughs> um, we uh, just decided to take a slightly different approach for this event. Um, so for those who come to most of our events, we've kind of set a tradition of having booze for them recently. So there was apparently a few complaints outside. Um, but uh, just want to acknowledge that thank you for being here, all the great people outside, mostly, who've come up with this idea for the event tonight. Uh, I think hopefully we're in for a bit of a treat. Uh, if you didn't get a raffle ticket, make sure you do um, let outside or see um, Viv, uh, Viv, uh, Viv sorry, at the back of the room who's waving her hand. She's got those because there'll be a raffle drawer at the end of the night for a copy of the book, which you can also purchase at the end of the night. Um, we were going to show, apparently, an emergency evacuation procedure video, but one of the benefits of being the Executive Director of the Foundation is like I say, look, let's just insert some common sense. If there is a fire or any very unlikely event of an emergency, please get out of the building and use um, the emergency exits, not the elevator. Didn't mean to show the two-minute video to tell you that. Um, and please do follow the instructions of the volunteers and those sorts of things. But the toilets are outside, you can follow the signs. Uh, could I ask you to please turn your phones to silent, um, but do feel free to use them. Uh, we're using the hashtag Don Dunson, uh, Dunson Memories, so please feel free to share uh, your thoughts and things like that on social media during the event. Uh, but enough gas bagging from me, I will introduce you to our speakers and panellists tonight. So um, I'm really excited that we've got Dr Paul Senchuk here, he's an Associate Professor in the Department of History at the University of Adelaide. And his latest book, you can find outside, The History of South Australia, includes a great chapter titled The Dunstan Decade. Uh, the Adelog team are here hey. tonight to interview Paul. And thank you very much to Dan and Tom for being here. They're known for their light-hearted and witty <laughs> insights into South Australian humour. Um, award winners I hear as well, but also I think have done something really, uh, I think really cool which is to make history interesting and fun and accessible. And I think that's a fantastic thing to be happening, particularly at the moment as part of the History Festival that's underway. So with that, I will hand over to you guys and thank you again for being here. Thank you. How are we all doing? How's everyone going? Good, my name's Dan. Uh, this is Tom. Hello, how are you Hi, Hi. <laughs> you're not part of this. <laughs> welcome, uh, welcome to everyone here tonight. Um, uh, thanks for the introduction. We are Adelol. We are a podcast that explores uh, South Australia's unique and often hilarious history. 
Um, and you know, there's sometimes some dark history as well, Tom. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but there's some great history here in South Australia. That's what we're all about. First and foremost, um, we'd love to thank the uh, Tom Dunson Foundation. Now, yeah. To be completely really background up. story on how we actually ended up here. Yeah, so this is a, a strange background story on how we got initially involved in the Don Dunson Foundation. I'll let you <coughs> take it away, so I didn't know the story either. Um, obviously, if you have integrity, uh, like Paul, you do a PhD, you write a book, uh, you become <laughs> an acknowledged, you know, well-recognised and respected historian. Um, we thought about taking that option, but we decided instead to make a podcast um, where we would just make dick and fart jokes about local history, and for some reason we won South Australian Immersion Historian of the Year last year for doing the podcast. An, so, award, um, an award we didn't know existed. An award we didn't know existed. Actually, the award ceremony for this year's Emerging Historian of the Year is happening right now over at the Town Hall. Um, and we assumed we'd get invited um, because we were last year's winner. Uh, but I think they've actually listened to our podcast <laughs> like, since we won the award. And they, they're like, yeah, okay, those guys are not coming back. Um, so tonight is the, not, the last night that we will be the 2018, or will always be the 2018 <laughs> Emerging Stories of the Year, but tonight's the last night that we'll, we will be South Australia's Emerging Stories of the Year. And um, we had a few fringe shows at last year's Adelaide Fringe, and because of the kind of increasing popularity for our, our show, we decided to, because we normally get together and record the podcast, we decided to do a couple of live episode recordings at this year's Adelaide Fringe, again, to follow on from ones we did last year. And um, this year for the Adelaide Fringe, when you, uh, when you registered for the Fringe and you registered your act, there was a tick box which said, um, uh, what do you identify as in terms of your gender? And I just put, prefer not to say, because I was like, it's 2019, we don't, why are they asking this question? And as soon as I did that, it dropped down another box saying, would you, be like, would you like to be recognised by the, the Don Dunstan Foundation as an organisation that's engaged in, you know, like progressive uh, social discussion? And, and I was like, sure, why not? Yeah, okay, did that box. And then as a result of that, foundation came out and watched our show. And, uh, and it was well. two white men telling dick jokes. It was two yeah. white men telling dick jokes, which is not particularly progressive. But um, look, you know, that's what happens when you, when you tick a box on the internet, when you're registering for things, sometimes amazing things happen. Um, and that's why we, we end up being here tonight. Yeah, and speaking of amazing things happening, the Don Dunstan Foundation does some absolutely amazing work, which we've come to know since accidentally becoming involved with them. And they've actually asked us back, which is crazy. So it's great. And we're honoured to be here with uh, Dr. Paul Sentrook. So thank you very much. We're here to ask some questions and learn about Don Dunstan. It's great to see a nice crowd here. Yeah. We've got some kids here. They're going to probably learn a few more words yeah, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> So the whole, the whole idea of our podcast is that Dan tells me a story from South Australian history because I didn't grow up in Adelaide, I didn't grow up in South Australia, so I kind of bring the outsider's perspective and he tells me things and, I'm, and I just end up going, like, what? What do you mean, like, what, what do you mean that happened? There was, what do you mean there was a festival, like fire festival, where, you know, they were opening by 10 orgies in a building Monato? Like, did that really happen? And he, you know, he will tell you that really did happen. Uh, episode four of our podcast, if you want to check that out. Um, you know, what do you mean there was a tsunami and uh, a great man called Don Dunstan held back the tsunami with his hands? Surely that didn't happen. And, you know, if you didn't listen to the podcast, you'll find out that, that, that did happen. And we'll probably cover it again tonight. So tonight, I guess, you know, what we're wanting Paul to do is to tell us all about Don Dunstan. And we're, we're going to both pretend that we don't know. What, what we're being told, obviously. <laughs> we're exactly both going to pretend that we're being kind of given this information for those time missions. I think it's in comparison to some of this information, it will be that. Yeah, and this is Dunstan 101, so we are going to go right back to basics. So let's just start with the, the obvious question. Well, who was Don Dunstan? What did he do? Crikey, that's a, that's, a bit, that's a big question. Well, are we going to ask the audience to 
give us some questions sure. as well. Yeah, I think our, our original plan was if you've got something that you want to know about Don Dunstan or about Don Dunstan's policies, that you could. Um, are we going to allow them to shout it out? I know we're no, allowed. We're on the mic. We have some written down. Uh, and we won't answer them right now, but we'll collect them now, and then through the evening, hopefully, we'll um, address them. Brilliant. So, is there anything that anyone particularly wants to know about Don Dunstan or the, the Dunstan's era? Yeah, like I said, who was he? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to us, mate. Let's do it. All right. Excellent. Good. I'm talking a bit underdressed because you guys look yeah. very, very, very dapper. Traditionally, if you are a historian, yeah, which we are, Tom, yeah, which we are, so. you have to wear a bow tie everywhere. I'm pretty sure it's in the clause yeah. when you win an award for a historian. Right, so, yeah, actually, and elbow got, patches as well. You've got to be in history and you don't actually know the So, as an honorary adult <laughs> guest, yeah. he said he had a thick neck, so I got the lightest <laughs> one I had. So, you can, you can rock that tonight just so you can be one with us. Well, it's not that if you wear this for lectures, your students will respect you more. I've <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly had that experience with our live shows and things like that. We always wear bow ties. There we go. Fantastic. Is it on? It's on. Oh. You know what? That's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> it's the right colour. So look, for those of you who don't know, Thompson was known for being like a very socially uh, progressive uh, politician, um, seeking you know, justice. But where does where did his political commitment come from, basically? Yeah, well, this is, it's one thing to be a historian that knows some facts, but to actually be able to explain the facts is, is, is tricky. And people who write books can generally do that. People who do podcasts just basically... We just, just make up the facts. Just make up the facts. Yeah, that's <laughs> So we've tried to explain, like, John Dunstan is, uh, yeah, had a real commitment to equality, equal opportunities, um, justice. And where does that come from? Because some people don't. Some politicians don't. Um, and so, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, are, are you trying to suggest that like some politicians are just in it for themselves, or because you know some kingmaker from New School is um, you know trying to get them into power? Is that in other areas? Oh, okay, right. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of his biographers will go back into his childhood, and he, he spends the first seven years of his life in Fiji, mm -hmm. uh, and then comes back to Adelaide for a short period of time before then you know, sort of going back and forth with his parents who, who live in, in, in Fiji. Um, after leaving university, he goes back to work as a lawyer in, in, in uh, Fiji there for a while as well. And so a lot of his biographers look at that time when he mixed with sort of, I suppose, British people, the colonial elite, uh, as well as, as well I'll call it at the time, the coloured mm -hmm. uh, and the sort of ethnic minorities within uh, Fiji. And as, as a boy, he, he sort of accepted people on equal terms. They were just human beings, and you know, he basically played equally with them. Uh, and it then sort of rubbed him up the wrong way when he sees uh, inequality, racial inequality and injustice uh, once he's coming back to Adelaide. So that's, that's one way that biographers have, have tried to explain where his, his um, social justice principles sort of come from. But it's also who he reads. It's, it's who he studies when he's at university. He studies history. Uh, history and politics. Um, Good choice. Yes, um, I think Latin as well, classics. Bad choice. Um, <laughs> he was terrible at maths, but really good at the humanities. Uh, so he's, he's reading the big books, he's thinking deeply about uh, human ideas, uh, and getting a chance to discuss it with like-minded individuals while he's at university. So he joins a, a, the social club, the Fabian club of that university, mm -hmm. and um, you know, sort of goes from there. 
And um, where does he end up entering uh, state parliament? How does that kind of come about? Well, he wasn't he wasn't the most likely candidate to, to enter or to become a part of the Labor Party and to be a member of the Labor Party because he's a lawyer, he's uh, available middle class, he loves the theatre, he plays the piano. Uh, he's not your bullshit unionist. He's never worked on a he's, he's never organised a union. He's never worked on a building site. Um, and so there was definitely people in the Labor Party didn't feel like that he was going to be able to represent them and their, their values. So he actually, it, it's, it's a little bit tough for him, and particularly when he, when he goes to try to become the leader of the party, um, there was people who were, who were um, opposed to that. But he stands for, uh, there'll be people in the audience who will know this maybe better than I, but I think he stands first for, uh, for election in 52, I'm going to say, and he's elected in the mid-50s okay. uh, to be the member of Norwood. Right. 53? Yes. Thank you. Yes, our doctor. <laughs> right, so if, if he wasn't a typical Labor man, um, how did he make his mark on the opposition? How did he kind of stand out? And be yeah, it, well, it, and in, in opposition in the 50s, if you're, you're a Labor Party, you're almost consigned to irrelevance because you haven't been in power since uh, 1933. Um, Labor first gets back in uh, in 1965 after 32 years of uninterrupted rule by the Liberal and Country League, the LCL, and the Premier uh, who presides over most of that period, uh, Tom Flavor, is in power for 28 years. So I told my students this, and they're absolutely mind boggled. Their entire life they had a single party rule. It may yet happen again, folks, because uh, <laughs> the, the Libs have got a bit of wind behind their backs now. Um, I've, got, I've, I've got a prank. Um, so, yeah, so how, how, how do you make your mark? You're, you're not winning elections, you're this fairly uh, sort of an outside figure in, in the Labor Party. Well, it doesn't Big like yellow signs. Big yellow signs? Yeah, that's where I see it. You'll win a lot of seats with big yellow signs, but I've learned anything from the last election. Yeah, yeah. you've got to spend at least 70 to 80 Instagram videos, um, YouTube, 22 yeah. minute ads everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Or flamboyant shorts, it's one of the two. This is an interesting thing, though, because he is, um, I mean, television starts to become a powerful force, particularly in the 1960s, and he's made for it. He's a good-looking young man um, with a, a bit of a bent for theatricality mm -hmm. uh, and, um, uh, to, to, to get people's attention. And the politicians of that time weren't all suited, uh, more suited to sort of print-based um, journalism. So he's able to get attention, yeah, that way. His big thing, though, he makes a claim, makes a name for himself in opposing the death penalty, and, and takes it well inter, in, intersects and you know, interjects into a debate about the. Um, the, the death penalty, the supposed ex execution of an Aboriginal man who was um, convicted of um, killing and raping uh, a young girl. And it was a very high profile case, mm. and, and Donaldson rails against the, the death penalty um, because of procedural matters uh, involving that person. Yeah, and just, uh, I, I think obviously because it is reconciliation this week, and I was doing a bit of learning this week, the amount of work and intervention he did in sort of Aboriginal affairs was um, absolutely astounding. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, he's he always had a in, in in the fifties and the sixties. Again, even in opposition, had a commitment to um, uh, equality and, and, and justice for Aboriginal people. And the, at the time, it was all about assimilation that Aboriginal people had to shape up and shape out to to be like white people. And he was about accepting Aboriginal people on their own terms. Uh, seeing where they're coming from and asking them to stop being like us uh, and maybe going to, you know, to try and accommodate them in, in society. So um, he was, you know, when they eventually gets into office with the Labor Party in, in 66, one of the first bits of legislation that comes through 
is the, um, uh, the, the, the Anti-Discrimination Act, which um, basically outlaws uh, the discrimination on the basis of race or ethnic um, uh, ethnic background. Yeah, absolutely, fantastic work. So, Dunstan and the Labor Party come into power um, and after a very, very long time in opposition, and then we kind of have this, this period of time which I guess it's colloquially referred to as the, the Dunstan decade. Mm -hmm. um, stacks of really socially progressive legislation during that period. Can you kind of highlight some of the, the key the key reforms, the key um, legislation from that period that really kind of shook things up? I can. Again, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge question. What I'll start with is, is probably the reform that he's probably was most important in helping him achieve uh, things was it was getting the state's electoral laws overturned or, or reformed. Um, the thing that kept the Labor Party out of power for 32 years was not the fact that they weren't popular. Uh, in two or three elections, they actually won the popular vote. More people voted for them than against them. But because of the way in which the seats were distributed around South Australia, um, it meant they never had a chance of forming government. So by 1965, there was actually twice as many seats in rural electorates than there were in city electorates even though the city had twice the population of rural areas. Now, the rural people traditionally voting in a more conservative manner and with as really? the obvious <laughs> So, yeah, um, and so um, Dunstan, through, basically because they, the building of, of Elizabeth on the, on the rural uh, fringe of uh, northern, uh, in, in, in South Australia, that puts a lot of urban workers into the seat of the Barossa, a country seat, uh, and it allows that to change hands to Labour in 1965, and that was the one way sort of Labor gets in power after um, 32 years. So you, you're saying all of the all the incredible progress and all the incredible achievements, we've got Elizabeth to thank for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good play for this. That's right. They, they, you know, they often cop a lot of flat, but that's, that's really good. I wish I'd put that line in my book. That's, that's, that's a crack. Put this up there. <laughs> so what, I mean, unfortunately, he doesn't, uh, the Labor never dominates, and never has power in, in, in the upper house. And it's the upper house that's, uh, every time they try to propose uh, ways of changing the electoral um, uh, act and, and the way the electorates have done, the upper house keeps um, rejecting it. So it actually takes uh, an LCL government, which is in power from 68 through to 70, to do that. And basically Dunstan shames them into doing it. Because in the 968 election, uh, Labor won 52% of the primary vote, 54% of the two-party preferred vote, and yet they actually lost seats uh, and were thrown out of government. And Dunstan just basically shames uh, the LCL leader at the time, Steve Hall, into saying you have to change the way in which these seats are um, distributed. Was there some, obviously there must have been some willingness and some recognition from the other side that it was the fair and the kind of the democratic thing to do at that time? Yeah, and, and Steve Hall and, and his Attorney General Robert Milhouse were, I suppose, small L liberals in, in, in that sense. Uh, I think they could see that it was, it was grossly unjust, but, but it, the, the way in which people were voting and, and Labor's not able to form government. He must have known when he made that change to the Electoral Act that he was going to be voting himself out of government. And in fact, the LCL kind of implodes over that issue. Um, he ends up forming sort of their, his own faction within it. Um, there's a few people nodding, which is good. Uh, <laughs> so it's, again, it's not the most interesting thing because like, young people want to hear about his um, criminalisation, decriminalisation, decriminalisation, shorts, decriminalisation, homosexuality, these things. But actually changing those electoral reforms, he would not be in power for the next 10 years. He would not have a chance of winning elections. 
Um, it, whether or in my brain, don't have, we're going to have power, a chance of winning those elections, but for these changes to be electoral. Um, so at a federal level, say, you know, let's give the example of, I don't know, 2019. If someone was doing something that was, you know, contentious, maybe a bit unethical, questionable, I don't know, spending $80 million um, just to, you know, skew the vote in a particular direction. Um, there's no bias here, by the way. Um, what, what steps can we take as a community, you know, drawing on maybe Don Dunstan's example of making changes or pushing for changes in, in electoral law to actually, um, you know, manage that mm. potential problem or injustice? Good. Just a hypothetical. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a bad time to ask me that after I'm still re recovering from the last election. Uh, and it's, it's hard to think, you know, what you want to say is people get on the streets and sure. be active. Yeah. I mean, Ben Don Dunstan hammers away at this for, for 10 years before, in opposition before he gets into power and doesn't lose focus for a single day. Okay. But that has to be something that has to get um, changed. Um, and what I suppose we need, a, the lesson to learn from that is you have to get up every single day and keep hammering away. People have been arguing for better climate change policy are going to be incredibly disillusioned by what happened sure. a couple of weekends ago because they've been fighting for four or five, six years. You're going to have to get back on the horse and do it for another, at least another three. And, um, and yeah. Away. And a lot of those people hammering for that, that, that change were primary school students and secondary school students. And I know Dunstan had a lot to do with uh, reforming the education system in South Australia as well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's overlooking. It's not one of his most high-profile uh, areas of reform, but it's actually really important. He spends more money in, in the education portfolio than in the other portfolio. We know him for his arts policy yeah. and um, you know, other things, but he spends a lot of money on, on, on education. The 1960s, there was a huge growth in the population of uh, South Australia, and particularly in terms of young people and migrant kids coming here. So the schools get full. And Playford, the, the previous um, Premier, didn't spend a lot of money in, in schools and trying to ease that burden. Teachers were leaving the system, etc., etc. So one of the first things that Dunstan does when he's um, Premier is, is place resources in that area, um, decreasing class sizes, putting teachers' aids um, into the schools. Um, but then also goes about reforming what's being taught. He brings in, um, he allows the introduction of sex education in schools. Well, he makes it no longer. I'm glad for that. I learned a lot of things in year seven. He makes it not compulsory for kids to attend religious instruction uh, yeah. as well. So changes some of those values which have been entrenched in the last 30 odd years in, in, in South Australia. Yeah. Brilliant. Dunstan's um, style as a politician. So, like moving away from the kind of the logistics of what he, of some of the things he achieved, but his his persona, his kind of you know charisma. Yeah. Talk to us a, a bit about that. We've got some slides. We might show those yeah. if we can. Um, which Centre for Democracy or Museum of Democracy um, down near the um, Kintore Avenue. North what, what? North Terrace, yes. What is shocking about this picture was 
There's so many shocking things there. Uh, this, is, this is what John Dyson wore to, uh, to Parliament in Brilliant. 1972. He didn't wear it every day. He was more English and he wore suits, although of a safari suit, uh, rather than standard um, blue suit. What is shocking is about, hey, that colour pink, I mean, that's, it's unnatural, really. Uh, B, how short are those shorts? Hey. <laughs> I mean, they're not, there's no any of the knees at all. They, uh, they're hot pants, really. And three, how long are those socks? I mean, this is, look, look at the rest of the outfit there. It's, um, it's got a lot to recommend it. And D, I, I can see the D. It's hard to tell where the belt begins and the shorts. <laughs> Having a black and white photo makes it easy to tell where the belt begins and the shorts finish and the, you know, vice versa. But aren't we glad that John Howard never wore those shorts? <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 now yeah. Look, I'm not wearing that and trying to do that rubbish bowl that he did. <laughs> <laughs> rubbish bowl was smart. He did give us that bright gold tracksuit, though, John Howard. Absolutely, and these slides will be put on the Don Dunson Foundation website. I've just been informed as well, so, you know. Look, I, and I, look, I draw attention to this, use. I draw attention to this, uh, is this sense of style, because he wasn't beyond the, you know, the theatrical gesture to make a point. And here he's talking about you know, dressing more comfortably, maybe getting various up in, in Fiji, where it's much more common to be more sensibly attired. Um, you know, he knows it's going to be in the paper the, the next day. Unfortunately, it's black and white uh, in, in the news, but we get to see the, the full colour. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Nick Xenophon basically learns everything he's, he, he knows from, from what John does. <laughs> and he's such a break from the play for the era style of politicians. A, they're about 20 years older than him. There's no way they're going to be doing this kind of stuff. And they really couldn't match him in terms of dominating the news cycle and, and, and getting his uh, agenda out there. Uh, he was a, you know, a real force to be reckoned. Yeah, it's not the only thing you got out there. <laughs> <laughs> we got we we might flip through. We got. Oh, yeah, do you want to talk a bit about this? Yes. Guys? So this is uh, we we do episodes about South Australian history, and every episode every week we cover a different topic about yeah. South Australian history. And the thing we've learned about South Australian history: everyone's an idiot, really. <laughs> like all the time, if there's the worst decision to be made. Lovable, the decision lovable that we're idiots, though. We're not trying oh, to say. lovable idiots. Yeah. Except this one guy called John Nash. John Nash, yeah, who wasn't South Australian originally. I think he wasn't. I think he was from someone. Oh, you know, one of those yeah. loser states. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, John Nash was a, um, a house painter and a part-time clairvoyant, which is a good mix. Yeah. I, I like to find <laughs> because if you're inhaling fumes all day, that's right. <laughs> you're going to be having. <laughs> Visions of the future. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And when these uh, laws, a lot of laws that Don Dunson passed in, in terms of um, uh, the homosexual law reform were passed, this guy, just Mr. Psychic John Nash. Yeah, he said God was going to bring a wrath upon, down upon Adelaide. Yeah, and you know how psychics are generally a bit vague. It's like, oh, you know, this will happen sometime. Yeah, yeah. But he gave it was a, a very specific. He gave an exact yes. time and date of when a tsunami was going to hit South Australia. Yeah, very, very specific. The sad part is, because uh, it's only one paper at the time, they're like, this guy's an idiot, let's put him in the paper. That's right, yeah. Why not? Yeah, so they yeah. put on the front page, a tsunami is hitting Adelaide. Yes. So people who can't read English that well, or can't read between the lines, language, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of see this and freak out. They're like, January, I think it's January 1975 at 12 o'clock or whatever it yep. was. Uh, a tsunami is going to hit. Yeah. To wipe off 
he described Adelaide as the new Sodom and Gomorrah, so yeah. they need to be wiped off the planet. Yeah, so all these immigrants start selling their homes. Um, yep. because, because they read in the newspaper, tsunami's coming on at the start of January. Yeah. They panic. They absolutely would. panic. Um, beachside properties were selling yeah. for like a quarter <laughs> of the price that they usually sell for. Yeah. That's so right. you could have picked up a bargain in those days down at uh, Glenelg. So. The irony is if you wait long enough, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen anyway. Um, but yeah. So anyway, the day comes, all this media coverage, people have gone up to Bury for the day because, you know, yep. their uncle Jeff's a sort of mind, they're going to be... Yeah, that's why they're going to get up to or escape the day. Yeah. So yeah, people are you know, going to the countryside for the day, but a lot of people, yeah, this isn't really going to happen. So a big crowd gathers at Glenelg. A lot of, you know, a lot of people realise that the psychics aren't real. Yeah, yeah that's kind of right. <laughs> Tell the history festival that. <laughs> yeah, someone needs to tell the history festival that. There's a lot of ghost tours in the history festival. A lot of ghost tours. Some people have taken the piss quite literally and uh, yep. having a few drinks, which we'll talk a bit more about in a, in a second. Um, people were you know, dressed up in um, you know, their floaties and taking their surfboards down, <laughs> holding signs saying like surf's up and yep, things like that. Up, yep. So this huge crowd gathers at Glenelg and who rocks up? Old mate Don. Yes, the Don. In his safari suit. And he stands on the balcony of, I don't know what hotel that was, we said it in the thing, but yeah. one of the hotels there. Right. Along, um, the Pier. Thank you very much. Stands, oh yeah, it's quite close. Uh, he stands along, uh, holds his arm and says, don't worry everyone, I too have these psychic abilities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I can hold back a tsunami. In my mind, I'm sorry, I'm there, I'm just, just guessing, but in my mind I picture him going, shinnanananananan, sort of as he like puts his arm out and sort of makes the, the noise of the... Uh, the fools. Yeah, so if nothing else, he's the person who saved us all yeah. from a tsunami. Which yeah. I think we can be really thankful. Yeah, none of us would be here today without him because uh, we would have been enveloped in water. We'd be underwater. Yeah. Strange twist to the story because there's always a strange this twist. This is the best time. twist ever. So James Nash, everyone's like, well, this guy's. I was going to say, what happened to Nash? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, well, this guy's an absolute flog, so they, he, he has to move. To a, to a different state, so he moved yeah. to New South Wales. That's where blogs go. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the places. Oh, sorry. Yeah, one of the places. Yeah. Uh, so he moved to New South Wales and, and starts his psychic business slash house painting. House painting. Yep. Yep. Back up. Uh, two months later, his house is destroyed by flood waters. Didn't see that one coming, dickhead. Didn't see that one coming. And the advertiser said, you know, oh, you know, we. We, we should all, you know, realise we shouldn't um, rely on these psychic abilities. I looked in the advertiser today, still publish horoscopes. Yep, uh, Still have hotlines where you can call psychics for 4 95 a minute. So maybe that's what John Nash is doing now. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure he's still with us, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I assume that that's what he would be doing if he was still around. spin through oh. next oh, one. Oh, that is brilliant. Well, what's we'll talking about? Um, this is rancher, it is, it's Mike Rand. Uh, so, so Mike Rand was. Why is there a guy with a rolled up magazine in the background? Oh no, sorry, I'm sorry. Now I'm seeing things. Mike Rand was brought in as Dunstan, well, one of his advisors, but he had particular skills in PR and communications. Um, so the original spin doctor, really. Uh, and Dunstan was brought in as part of his team. Um, soon become a Labour politician in his own right and also becomes Premier of the state. So Paul, you're, you're saying marketing people can make successful politicians. That's <laughs> interesting. Um, and, and again, this, this is something that, that Dunstan helps pioneer in, in, in state-level politics, and not even in federal politics. He had a real eye uh, for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. 
And if you are interested in any stories about Mike Graham, we do have one on the podcast. <laughs> and also the Rolled Up magazine and the yeah, Yellow Couch. <laughs> and also, just a side note as well, that does look like a, uh, a shot from a Scorsese movie, I've got to say. I think it was like a got a drop the most fire album of 2019. Yeah. Or 1970. So you, you just know the guy in the back and say, oh, where, where are we going to put the body? Can we go back to the cookbook, please? Oh, oh, look at, oh, that. look at that. That is. So I was, I was talking to someone before. I, I, I teach a course uh, in South Australian history, an honours course. We don't have not that many students in the course. Um, and every year I have them over to my house for dinner. And they have to cook something uh, out of the Don Dunstan cookbook. Yeah. Either out of the Don Dunstan cookbook or out of a South Australian cookbook or with only South Australian produce. Maggie So you can do Maggie Deer as well. Anyway, someone always does uh, the Don Dunstan cookbook uh, and this year someone made the pumpkin soup and what the special ingredient in Don's pumpkin soup is. Hashish. <laughs> <laughs> Great party. It's, uh, on the, it's on the same wavelength. Sherry. Oh, oh yeah, a couple yeah. of sherries. Yeah. And uh, then I found out actually sherry's used a lot in cookery uh, in, in, in the 1970s. Did Don have a problem that he wasn't telling us? <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, this is this is still around, and I've heard already already the audience a couple of people had some good stories about the Don Dunstan. Um, Anyone cook something from the Don Dunstan yeah, cookbook? Yeah, please. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. What have you got? Yeah. Oh, we still got the book. Oh, yes. nice. I'm gonna look at it now. Yeah. Now she's turned their sherry, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Every recipe involves sherry and drinking sherry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and curry powder, a bit of curry powder. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. That's so. Curry powder and gelatin. That's that's the both of us into the nineteen seventies cooking. Yeah. All right. But um, unless there's any more slides, I'm not sure there is. But um, his support for the arts, that's a, that's a big thing in making South Australia this, um, well, I guess the, the festival state and um, the, the bringing about the arts this is basically all I know you're going to have to take over here. Well, film industry, a film industry. Um, we were talking a few weeks ago, we were um, looking at the story of um, Logic. Um, oh, yes, yeah, Aboriginal man. Aboriginal man who um, was quite famous in the 19th century for an escape from Yatla Labour prison. And I was talking about that and just discussing the story, I sort of said, oh, this really reminds me of um, the Charm of Jimmy Blacksmith. And then I was talking about that film. And then we sort of kind of got off on a tangent about talking about South Australian Film Corporation and just South Australian films in general. Mm -hmm. Don Dunstan was a big part of um, kind of the, the boost and the growth of um, South Australian film industry. Yeah, yeah it's under his uh, premiership that the South Australian Film Corporation gets established. Uh, and, and principally, they, they, most of their work is actually done making promotional videos for in-house government departments, like training videos such as evacuation procedures <laughs> and <laughs> whatever they were talking about. Uh, but there was giving jobs uh, and skilling up people in the industry, and then some of them go out and become cameramen and script advisors and, and duck duck da da to films like Storm Boy and yep. Break Moran yep. and, and other films which are which were made by the, the corporation. You've got to put this in context. I mean, the the Adelaide Festival of Arts is not a government. Did not start as a government initiative. It start, started by wealthy uh, businessmen uh, and philanthropists who were disappointed that there was no real cultural scene at all in Adelaide. There was no place. Uh, to have big theatre companies or to have big ba uh, ballets or operas here because there was no venues for it. Um, and under Playford, um, Playford's a very uh, pragmatic, um, sort of, he sees himself as an ordinary person and a defender of, of, of ordinary people. 
and he saw no reason to subsidise the arts. Um, you know, he said, most people go and watch films. If you don't ask me to subsidise the price of beer, of cinema tickets, why would I be going to subsidise you know, the opera performance or this to, or, or having to build big venues? So he, he gets dragged kicking and screaming to building or committing funds to the, the building of the festival centre, and he does um, initiate that process. The Adelaide City Council has to kick in, but it's the Steel Hall government and then the Dunstan governments that, that um, sort of kick that off. Dunstan himself is, is a great enthusiast for the arts, he's an amateur thespian, he, he, he acts, he plays the piano, he writes, uh, including for the, the, the Angry Penguins um, broadsheet, so he's a poet, he, he does all these kind of things in an amateur sense, and he brings that passion to the arts and invests more in creating, first of all, uh, helping to you know, bring to fruition the, the Festival Centre, which gives us a venue to have international um, theatre companies and, and dance companies here. But he then um, initiates um, the country arts um, scheme where they build country art centres in rural locations. Um, and then there's money for a state theatre company, state opera, okay. film corporation. And he makes these things, um, what are they called, statutory authorities. Um, so they sort of uh, have their own sort of backs. And it means they'll, they'll, there's, there's perpetuity that he can go out of government that these things are going to endure. Awesome. So it sets up that legacy, and, and, and suddenly Adelaide becomes a place where people in New York and Berlin and, and London know about because we put him on these amazing uh, arts festivals and uh, have amazing companies here. And still to this day known as the Festival of State. Absolutely. 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 Um, uh, so yeah, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have these uh, wild and wacky fringe shows where... Um, yeah. Yeah, literally a show this year was a man painting a picture. Which is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, how simple yeah. did you get to get some kicks off? Just your mum. <laughs> 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 Alright, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> but look, um, there's one thing. We were at the Burnside Library, uh, we local were. librarian, yeah. last week, if you have to say, yeah. the Burnside. Uh, Lots we're of Labour voters on that side. We <laughs> <laughs> were at the Burnside Library last week uh, talking about the history of Burnside, which is fascinating. Side note, they're not better than anyone else. No, they're I just Just as much drama, intrigue, and, um, and you know, wild and wacky things happening in Burnside as everywhere else. But I picked up this book, and it was called The Salisbury Affair. And at first I thought it was Bogan Erotica. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really nice. Like, yeah. Don't tell Dad I'm cheating on him with Mick. Yeah. Trying to take away my eyes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's what, but it wasn't. It was in Walton Dunstan and the police commissioner at the time, Harold Salisbury, uh, towards the end of the 1970s. Yeah, still got off to work, to be honest with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't easy. That's the way The executive's laughing at something. We haven't been fired yet. I won't be using that line in my next book. Look, Dunstan actually has a real difficult relationship with the police uh, throughout his whole... Um, Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I, yeah, I understand it. It goes back almost to... Can I tell quite a long story about explaining the Absolutely. Affair? Absolutely. So, in one of the key catalysts for homosexual law reform in, in South Australia was the death, was the murder, really, of a university lecturer, um, Dr George Duncan. Um, in the in the Torrance River vicinity University in 1972, uh, and it was alleged that it was members of the vice squad, uh, some police officers that were actually led to his drowning, either bashing him and then throwing him into the river, and that you know, leads him to be deceased. 
So there's a pursuit. There's a pursuit of the police. Um, three members of the, the squad are actually um, refused to answer questions about it, and then subsequently resigned from that. So fast forward through to some Vietnam protests here uh, during the Vietnam um, the moratorium marches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The biggest protest that took place here in South Australia happened at about 3:45 in the afternoon, and the plan was to uh, blockade or block up the intersection of King William. Um, street and North Terrace. So it's going to cause a massive disruption. Um, 5,000 of people um, yeah. occupying that space. Dunstan... Just half the population of Adelaide at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Dunstan's originally... Uh, he's anti the Vietnam War himself, and the Labor Party was broadly against uh, the war. Um, but nevertheless, he didn't think it was such a great idea to be uh, causing such a public nuisance and sort of distance himself from the, the protesters. Nevertheless, once it's planned, this is going to happen. He asked the police not to do anything about it, to basically let the protest peacefully, cause disruption, and let it go. Makes sense. Well, the police, the police officials, don't listen to him, and they end up having a mass arrest. There's 130 people arrested. There's violence. Um, it makes the news around Australia, and again, sours his relationship um, with the police. Fast forward again to I think it's 1978 when uh, a journalist alleges that the um, the police special special branch is keeping dossiers or files on well uh, on on activists. Yeah. Um, so basically, like you know, ASIO is you know sort of spy spy network. It's it's alleged that most of those files are on left wing people. Okay. So you know, Vietnam protesters, all of the Labor Party politicians, union officials had a file on them. Very few of people on the right. So Dunstan asks the commissioner of police. Are you keeping secret files on people? And he denies it. So Dunstan goes back and tells Parliament that these things don't exist. Mm. There's then a Royal Commission on Espionage, which goes. That was mine, with that. Which then is, is happening at the same time. And again, Dunstan, uh, Dunstan gives advice based on what he was told by the Commissioner of Police that there is no special files being kept. This is uh, not true. So he again then lies uh, mm. to the, the public as part of that inquiry. Now, it subsequently comes out that there was. Um, secret files being kept on people. And I, for one, am shocked. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the, 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 the Commissioner of Police had lied about it. Uh, and he subsequently says, well, listen, I, I don't actually, I don't, you aren't the authority. I take my authority from the Crown, mm -hmm. effectively from the from Queen, I suppose, uh, not of, of the government of the day. I have to remain above um, politics. And that was his justification for lying. Dunstan and says, well, actually, I'm going to sack you now because you have led me to mislead Parliament. We can't have you doing that. And I think, do we have a photograph of that next one? There we are. Oh, look at that. That was a protest organised by the uh, Liberal Party, which has now been called the Liberal Party. The LCL transforms into the Liberal Party in opposition to that. 10,000 people roll up the streets and call for Dunstan's head, basically saying that he's got something to hide. This is why he's trying to get rid of the uh, Commissioner of yeah. Police. Uh, and Adelaide's establishment, the conservative establishment, rallies around this and caused a great deal of stress for him. It led to a book being written about him and probably hastened his health problems and his eventual uh, resignation in 1979. Absolutely. I hope so, I told that right. Yeah. Good. So, uh, he wasn't a communist then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is really interesting of, you know, of, because of his social progressiveness, he. he he looked like a communist, and people kept trying to, 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 to call him a communist. And, and, and the Labor Party... People know communists aren't that socially progressive, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 I guess they weren't aware of that in 
it's a little bit more What does a communist look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, they thought, some people thought he looked, they looked like Don Dunstan, and some people oh. thought anyone, any Labour union that was associated with the Labour Party was, was going to be uh, sort of a communist front. Yeah. Um, and there was, in, in other states, accusations that Labour Party officials and, and Labour parties were actually communist fronts or had been overtly influenced by the communist elements had led to the, the breakup of, uh, and the splits within Labour parties. That never happens in, in, in South Australia. The, always, the Labour Party here is always able to prove an arm's length distance from uh, communists. Um, and so that, that charge never sticks. What they do attack Dunstan for, maybe more so than being a communist, was for his, um, his theatricality, uh, his sexual practices, and, and, and claims that he was being sort of corrupt in, in looking after friends and mates. Yeah. Uh, and that's what uh, it was the subject of, of, of another book at the end of his um, political career. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what's, what's a great politician with that bit of that? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so look, um, he had some great reforms, as we know, you know, arts, uh, uh, decriminalisation, all of that. But he had this idea, uh, which I found about, was building a new city from scratch, somewhere yeah. in South Australia, why didn't it happen and why can't we go there? Yeah, you're going to have to sell us on this book. Yeah, it's pretty great much job. on board with everything that Don Dunstan was, was going for, but building a new city, an entirely new city of Manado, yeah. what's, is, what's, what's all that about? Well, this is, was, was one of his quite substantial policy missteps. Uh, at the start of the 1970s, again, there's this huge population growth going on in South Australia that, sort of uninterrupted since uh, World War II. There's this feeling that this population growth is going to continue and that the resources in Adelaide, given that we're bounded by the sea and then the hills, um, we're not well set, set up for, for taking this extra population. So he was advised that it would be a good idea to um, decentralise, to move people out of the cities into other areas. And he thought of the idea of, 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 of uh, building a brand new city called Monato, about, um, about 80 kilometres away, um, near Murray Bridge, I think, from memory. Would it be a freight airport? Is that something? Is it? <laughs> 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 One guy gets it, I don't know. There's <laughs> a proposal to build a freight airport. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's not the best idea, is it? So look, the, the Commonwealth government's committed funds to it. The state government committed funds. Uh, land was purchased. It, mean, it meant the compulsory acquisition of people's farms, which did not uh, it upset a lot of people, as it does when someone comes and takes your home. It was, he sold it by saying we're actually going to move a lot of government departments out to Monaco, and that, that a lot of people felt good about that. But except the people those, who were in those government departments who then protested vociferously, so his, his own bureaucracy was, was fighting against it. Look, it's just Monaco, it's not like we're asking him to move to Port Adelaide, is it? <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> we're in a useful paper, I don't know. <laughs> So, I mean, in the end, by the end of the 70s, I mean, the population doesn't increase in the way that it was, it was going to. Uh, there was so much resistance to people being uh, moved out there and decentralised that, although he, he remains committed to it, once he loses government, the, the new Liberal government, uh, Tonkin's government, has no face to try to save here and um, cancels the project. So it becomes, of course, they, they, they now have the open plan zoo out of Monato, it becomes known as Dunstan's Great White Elephant. Not one of his uh, sort of finest, <laughs> not one of his finest moments. Oh, I'm sorry to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just uh, highlight what's the big debate going on around Mount Barker and the extension of Adelaide at the moment? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's about a lot of good agricultural land being taken up by development. Yeah. So if you think a bit further, uh, Monato was actually a brilliant idea, but just before its time. Sure. If there was yeah. a decentralised city out there, it wouldn't have these issues about the extension of Adelaide. Well, uh, Monato would be a better place to, to put it as well because the land's not as, not, my understanding is it's not as good as the land around that park. Correct. Right? It's more yeah, just yeah. So, so I don't, it was before his time, which were a lot of other things that he brought up, like relationships with Asia and all sorts of things. So I, I don't see it as a big mistake. But it's it, mistake. it was, it it was for the time there. Yeah. yeah. Mistake, we could have been having this discussion in Monato right now. <laughs> yeah. Good I went to a French show at Adelaide Zoo once and in the middle of the show the lions just started mating <laughs> and you couldn't hear, there was a comedian on stage and you couldn't hear any of the jokes he was making and he just kind of just stood there for 15 minutes and everyone just laughed. So it was like because the lions were being noisy or were just people were so, so noisy, so noisy. <laughs> They just couldn't hear his points. So I, I'm, up for, I'm up for the idea of doing a gig at the zoo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, next year, let's, let's right. do this. Let's, know, let's start Don City. What will we call the city? Well, well it's more how we're going to build it. Don Tokyo. Don Tokyo. Or just Don City, and then we can be like, we built Don City on Adelol. Oh, we built Don City on Adelol. I love it.
full holiday. I didn't go the full way to completely give full self-determination, but it was a huge, huge step. He also introduces protection of Aboriginal sacred sites and relics. And I think that was also the first bit of legislation, protecting Aboriginal culture and yeah. artefacts in the way in which Western artefacts and culture might be protected as well. And what's really important, what, what's really important where we sit tonight at uh, Tasmania, uh, Victoria Square, is um, the first place to fly the uh, Aboriginal flag, which is, um, was flown in 1971, I believe. Um, and it was the first place to fly even before it was recognised. It wasn't actually recognised as a flag until 1995. Um, but we were, we were flying it long before anyone else, and even to, to this day, they're still trying to have it. They're still fighting to have it um, flying on off Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the other, I'm going to take over a little bit here. Uh, the, the, the other thing we haven't uh, really touched on is is um, advancement of women during the past decade, and what kind of legislative changes and social changes that he was and his governments. We always talk about Dunstan, but he had very capable ministers and some very good people working for him. Um, in, the, in the areas of you know, trying to foster equality between men and women. My mother, when she got married, uh, had to retire, uh, as married women did. Uh, and one of the first bits of legislation he introduced uh, when he was um, Attorney General, as part of Frank Walsh's government in 1965-66, was a Public Service Act, which meant that women did not have to resign from their jobs uh, upon being uh, married and also brought in uh, equal pay for equal work for women in the public service. This didn't extend to the commercial uh, private enterprise, but it was assumed that the private enterprise would follow suit because of the conditions given in the public service. Um, so very important, it helped retain um, teachers, particularly female um, teachers. Uh, then you go through and have a Sex Discrimination Act, which comes in in 1975, uh, which protects people's uh, people um, on the basis of their marital status or their gender, they can't be sacked or they can't be discriminated against, which is very important and again earlier than uh, other places in Australia. He brings in the first um, legislation uh, against rape in marriage, where men could no longer assert their rights to have sex with their, their, with their wives without um, facing criminal prosecution. So lots of little sort of legislative reforms in these, in these areas. There's huge debate about how committed he is to the advancement of women. Uh, some people have sort of said he sort of dragged their kicking and screaming. And uh, women's groups and women's, women's organisation and the women's movement themselves were vocal lobbyists in terms of pushing that in that regard. And, and in celebrating John, we need to remember that there's a whole bunch of activists behind the scenes that are yeah, pushing him in, in particular directions and to do good work. A lot of great work. A lot of great work. Yes, sir. Do you mind removing that uh, overhead and put something decent up? <laughs> <laughs> Back to Don's pink shorts. Yeah, yeah. Come on. There we go. What else we got? Okay. There we go. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We can get to the point where we're taking questions. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Yes. It brings in a commissioner for consumer affairs, I think, doesn't it, to, yeah. to protect the rights of yeah, consumers. Um, following on from some of the reforms that are happening in America as well in, in, in that space. So he's the reason I can go to Harvey Norman and return my faulty toaster. Yes. Yeah, sweet. You broke yourself. Yeah. Or rest and be on hold for three days. Say I'm going to change unless you do something. 
Add the rocks and plant it out. Add the rocks and plant it out, yeah. Um, so I'm just thinking at the same time in Dunstan in South Australia with these sorts of social reforms, there was Gough Whitlam at a federal level who really was far less successful even before the crisis, the supply crisis, and government was a bit of a shambles. So what sort of differentiated the two to allow one to be so successful and one to, by many measures, be a bit of a failure? Do you guys want to answer that question? No, because I am not smart. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone hasn't figured oh, that out yet? I'm not smart. I don't know how I feel about Whitlam being described as a failure, but <laughs> All right. That's my only comment, Paul. <laughs> good comment. So it's, it's, it's a good question. I think uh, Dunstan is given a fair bit of rope because of the 32 years of, of conservative rule before him. There's a lot of pent up frustration, uh, and there's a and we, we've lagged so we're now so far behind that uh, people are willing to go on a bit of a journey with him. Um, even at the time, though, I mean, he, he wins a, a series of elections, but no, no, not landslides. He finds it pretty tough, even with his own party. Again, when, when he became leader of the party, um, he wins by one or two votes in, in the party room. He's, he's not universally loved. And he's much more, I think, celebrated now than he was at the time. I mean, people found him, you know, and what the government was doing pretty hard to take. Whitlam comes a cropper, I think, mainly no. because they... <laughs> yeah. no. They was we, we were there. Yeah. <laughs> um, we sure, loved him then. I'm sure, of course, a lot of people loved him then. Uh, um, the fact you're here today, I think, suggests that you would, be, would have been the type that would love him, uh, love him then. But I think, um, yeah, he's grown uh, more lovable as a public in, 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 in general. Definitely, if you read the advertiser and the way in which he's memorialised now, compared to the way in which they wrote but about him in the 1970s. But even then, he's so far ahead of the rest of the politicians in Australia. Oh, yeah. Every other state followed South Australia. We, we had the first in so much in legislation, consumer affairs, rights for people. He led the way on that, and that was his personal leadership. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In terms of the Whitlam, uh, you know, how does Whitlam implode? Well, there's a lot of money at stake at the Commonwealth level, and people were convinced that that money was being badly misspent, uh, and uh, he has ministers that were getting involved in scandals, so there's a whole bunch of things that, are, that his government looks odious. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be, if that was two of the you know, different comparisons, we've, we've done some surrounded by some very capable ministers that take some of his key portfolio off as, as good work. Yeah. I, I think it's partly, if, if he had not, he was in power for a little while, then he lost, in that time, he actually made sure that people coming in, like King as Attorney General, were key people. So he, he selected the people, in a sense, to be there. Whitman didn't, didn't have it. But it would be better for, for Whitman had lost the double disillusion and actually come back afterwards. And I think Duncan's lucky that he had that time for Phil Hall to set him up for government. That's a really good point. Yeah. One question. Is Whitland the chocolate guy? No. I'm going to make my head here. Thank you. Coconut ruffles, that's the that's that's yeah, that's quality product. <laughs> More questions or comments? Yes. Um, when we walked in, there was a slide up about the play, Lovers and Haters, mm -hmm. and I was seen the slide since, but I was wondering if you were planning to say anything about that 
I was not. It's not one of my slides. I haven't prepared anything on that. Do you, do you have a story about that? Yes, you do, because you've just given it away with those eyes. Please, please. Bring back the microphone. There was a slide, though, wasn't there? Close I think there was, yeah. It wasn't one of mine, sorry, there's three, we've got three of us here. He had, he had one job tonight, which was to show the um, emergency video. <laughs> we, we took that away from him. Now it's just Joseph just sitting here hanging out. Is that it? No. Oh, okay. Do, do you have the others, can you tell us, enlighten us a little bit? There was some... Um... Oh, is that it? Some videos. Can we make these available on the um, Dondas Foundation website? Yeah, we will make these available. I'm saying we like I have some sayings. <laughs> There's 127 slides on there. Go through all of them. Oh, yeah. What's this? Hey, um, so, so Rob George and Maureen Sherlock uh, wrote and directed this play for a festival. I'm thinking 12 years ago, around then. About 2008, I would guess. That's not years ago. Sorry, I didn't say that. Can we see it again? Um, and it was quite polarising, I think. There were some people who thought it was great, the event of the, uh, the, the, you know, the Toasters Festival, and others absolutely hated it. So, did anyone see it? No. Was it a positive portrayal of the Dunstan period, or was it negative? It was both. And that's why lovers hated it and haters loved it. <laughs> 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 there we go. That's why they the morning. thought it was reasonable. Yeah. Um, I just noticed on with the drink in his hand, and he had a lot to do with just um, drinking reform in South Australia, which yeah. I am certainly grateful for. Yeah, what time is it actually? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this is the one thing my students know about Tom Dunn. <laughs> he allowed them to get a drink yes. after six o'clock uh, at night. So South Australia is the last state uh, and lagging behind some. 20 odd years behind some of the other states in terms of allowing the service of alcohol after six o'clock. We have the famous six o'clock swill here. This is up until 1966, I think, is when they changed the laws on this. Where some of you might remember, um, you know, knocking off at work at five o'clock, running to the pub, uh, buying six drinks at once, uh, and then drinking them as quick as you can before you were uh, uh, turned out. Uh, a tradition I still like to carry on to this day. <laughs> Just extend it past six o'clock. Well, yeah, well, well, we we are pushing time, um, and I noticed in the the blurb of the play, it's mentioned something about um, you know love had he, love him or hadn't you, there will never be another um, politician like him, and um, I think that's a really like powerful, fantastic appraisal of. of many aspects of this legacy. I just kind of want to finish Paul with a question that is probably too complex and difficult a question to answer, but in in the world we live in now, you know, post-GST, the growing kind of power of the federal government, all that, all these kinds of factors, um, how hard is it for a South Australian Premier to kind of make an impact in the same? I mean, obviously, if you're a failed walk-in-the-box owner, it's, it's pretty hard. But <laughs> for, um, how hard is it for a South Australian <laughs> Premier to make an impact on the, on the national and the global scale in the way it's gone these days. Stephen Marshall's certainly not on the way to <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Invisible. Oh, that's not who I was referring to. I was saying, if you're a failed walk-in-the-box owner, it's hard. To do, you know, but that's neither here nor there. I wasn't referring to anyone specifically. Just a hypothetical question. It is. I mean, our, our politicians are saying we, we're hamstrung, we, we rely on, on Commonwealth government funds, and they're always cutting them. We, not big enough to share of the GST, etc., etc., yeah. and therefore we're, we're always being circumscribed. 
But, um, you know, I was reminded, one, one thing that Dom's done... It was circumscribed. Dom just did look down very briefly. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to laugh. It still works up sometimes. <laughs> you can see that in the pink shorts, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <they're good>. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, pink jokes. One thing that's often credited to the Dutch government was the was abortion law reform and allowing women... Uh, to, to a degree, to be able to obtain abortions. So that's actually a, a, a reform of the Steel Halls government. Mm -hmm. Comes in in 1970, just before they're about to, to lose office. Now, what it might surprise people is uh, today um, we probably have some of the more draconian laws against or impeding women being able to access uh, abortion to the extent that uh, here we can have protesters right outside of uh, abortion clinics screaming at doctors and nurses and women going in to get health care. Yeah. Now, other states have uh, disallowed that. There's now, you know, protection <coughs> zones around those places so people can go get health care and people could practice their jobs without harassment. So it sounds like, I mean, just, just what can a, a, a Premier do or what can a politician do which is still progressive and, you know, still... which don't, doesn't require money, doesn't require Commonwealth funds. They can do little things like that to, and and and, and I hopefully the, the, you know, the, the memories and the legacies of the 1960s and 1970s might tell my other politicians to do that, but yeah. I don't see many of them willing to have those kind of uh, sort of arguments or fights or to make those kind of challenges at the moment. Yeah, I just say one more wrap it up tonight. I disagree totally. I I think that the Grand and Weatherall government show we can take a lead in the environmental space. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 no doubt. Yeah. And they took the feds on and won. I agree. Yeah, well, they, 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 they did, but they probably lost it for themselves. It was one of the, the key reasons that people voted against them, unfortunately. But then, of course, Victoria steals their policies and, and has a great election uh, success. Look, I agree. Yeah, some absolutely fantastic Just like they sell the Grand Prix. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, an absolutely fantastic discussion here tonight. Thank you to the Don Dutton Foundation for actually listening to us and having us back. I'm sure we won't be welcome back, but next year, meet us down at Bernardo. We'll have some fun. <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, we are at the wall. We can talk with Adam Wall. Big round of applause for these guys. I think that was really interesting. Thank you, Dan, thank you, Dan and Tom. I think that uh, we will have you back, but we will probably need to put a disclaimer on your podcast on our website to say <laughs> whose views are being represented where. Um, but well done, guys. That was good fun. Um, thank you very much, Paul, for your contribution as well. I think you've done a great job. I think that... Talking about history, uh, I think you know, we, you know we figured out from tonight that it's contested, right? So everyone has a different perspective on these things, and it's great just to have a conversation about it and to do so uh, in a really light-hearted way. So it's been fantastic. We have a little gift for you guys. Oh. Maya's going to hand them out for you. So thank you very much for being part of tonight and um, helping us celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Dunson Foundation and and remembering Bon and the amazing things. <laughs> yes, wrapped up in our social change guide, which is got awesome way uh, of Don. Is it a book? It is a book. Uh, don't worry, Paul, we can give you your book. <laughs> I've got a copy for 25 out the back. Yes. <laughs> 25? I can afford your signature as fine. So Paul's books are actually on sale outside for $30, which is 10 bucks cheaper than you can normally find them for at the bookshop. So we encourage you to have a look at that on your way out and, and do look at that. Uh, we do have one of those books for you all now. So if you are in the raffle, we are going to draw that.
Uh, Paul, well, you can have the honours of drawing out. Get your tickets ready, everyone. Uh, so it's red, that's appropriate. Red B04. Who got it? Come on down, Mike's got the present for you, so you're the comment book. So. Um, Thanks again for being here. Can I acknowledge, I guess, that we're part of Flinders University tonight and thank you for that. Who is it? What was the number? Red B04. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else has got that. I think all Red B04s. Yeah, I'll You've got two. No. <laughs> He's a hard audience, these guys. So no. What's he on the O4? He doesn't know what to So yes, I just want to do a quick couple of quick thank yous. So thank you to Flinders Uni for hosting us tonight. Flinders also have the Dunstan Collection, which is worth a look at down at Flinders Uni. Thanks to Tony Marks for supporting the food tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. It's a little bit more out there, so please have a bite before you leave. Um, can I please thank our longest serving volunteers of the Dunstan oh, Foundation who have been involved since the very beginning of the Foundation. Viv and Vince are sitting on the back and probably looking very embarrassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. <laughs> They've been volunteering for the Foundation who have set up and they're continuing to go strong and such a fantastic part of what we do. The volunteers are why we are able to do the amount of things we can do and all of our interns and others who are involved in that. So can I thank Mai particularly, who was an intern and is now helping us with our anniversary um, activities, and Laura, wherever you are, somewhere at the back, for coming up with this idea and working on it and making this event happen. So thank you to both of you guys for all of our other volunteers. Uh, if you're interested in Dunstan Foundation history and the, the organisation and the, the history of John Dunstan and things that he's done, you'll find more information on our brand new website that we launched about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're doing an oral history project as part of the um, 20th anniversary uh, activities. So Alison Murchie and Deborah Gard are here tonight as well, who've been part of that process. So please feel free to stick around tonight, talk to these guys, talk to our oral historians who are part of what we're doing. Um, of course, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention, so that, yeah, more information about the um, oral history project on the website. We're launching a design competition as part of the Dom's party that we're having at the end of the year, so we're going to have a big cocktails event at Pumblewood Town Hall to celebrate 20 years of the foundation and, and recognise 20 years since we lost Dom. Uh, so put it in your diaries uh, and we'll hopefully, well, the details are on our website, but it's not October. Uh, and yes, if you know anyone who's interested in design work, we want to get a young person who's um, sort of beginning of their career to help us with that, so please share that one around. Uh, also, we've got a huge amount of events coming up over the rest of the year, and one of the things we wanted to do is say thank you to everyone who came tonight, is to send you all a free ticket for the Thinkers and Residents Oration, which is oh, Thursday, two weeks' time. So we'll send you the code for a free ticket on Monday, Yep. Uh, and we'd love to see you there and share the word around, because um, inspiring action for a fair world is what the foundation is all about and continuing the legacy of Don Dunstan. We're doing that every day on a range of different things and we hope you to be part of it. So thanks very much for being here and um, yeah, stick around for food and drinks. Great. Great. Great.